Good morning from Thailand. Uh, today we're going to speak about the anima and animus. I have a bunch of examples. Um, actually, well, I'll say uh, this last week, um, not only was I reading a lot of Jung, which is a normal week for me, uh, different things happened that I'm going to share today. Uh, one, one thing is that I, I just want to give a shout out to my friends out over in Dow Garden. Um, I, I, they, they're doing the meeting of the masters retreat right now. And uh, so Lapazuto, who's been on the podcast, who's the organizer there, invited me to come check it out. So I was able to see some of the, um, <clears throat> or get a refresher in certain Taoist sexual practices, which is cool. I'm not going to talk about that too much today. There's some, some like metaphorical things going to bring up. Um, but uh, yeah, just shout, shout out to my friends in the Tantra and Taoist sexuality worlds, um, many of whom I will see tonight at the party. Um, but anyway. Uh, any other announcements? Oh, actually one thing. So they were speaking about the anima and the animus, but uh, if you're a guy, the anima, the feminine side of the psyche is the thing that would be most interesting. I'm well, attacked, like related to the, that I went to the Taoist retreat, I, I saw stuff that I knew already, I had learned before I'd been to this particular retreat already. It was, um, it's always great to get a refresher in person. And something I've been speaking about lately is like, most of my work, almost all of it is online. I love it, I love being mobile, but there is some, there is something to like the in-person experience that I've been wanting to have and I'm planning for 2020. Um, this August, I'm going to be walking at the Camino de Santiago in Spain, which is this pilgrimage, you can look it up, but this pilgrimage people walk along the Camino. Um, I was thinking about turning it into a retreat, uh, open to just a small handful of guys. This would be kind of like a men's pilgrimage, rite of passage together. Uh, if you're interested, you can apply for coaching on my website and just make a note. I'm interested in the Camino. It's going to be basically, we're going to walk this pilgrimage, which is uh, in some ways uh, a journey into the anima. There's like a Black Madonna uh, things along the way. I'm not educated enough to speak about Black Madonna on my own right now. I'm going to bring an expert to speak on that. Actually, uh, Leslie Celine, who was on the podcast, is the one who actually introduced this idea to me on the podcast. I'm turning into a retreat. Uh, open to a small group of, of guys. We're gonna do the pilgrimage together, do coaching circles at night. It's gonna be uh, a semi-structured experience over a couple weeks. It's obviously not up for everyone because if you uh, can't take that time off of work or something, it's just not gonna work for you. But if you're interested in that, you can reach out on the website uh, related to today's topic, which is the anima and animus. So. Uh, we're going to go through definitions, obviously, so you know what we're talking about. We're referencing archetypal stuff. Um, the, the re oh, I think my sound was off. I don't know if it was off. Well, hopefully you can hear me now. Um, this is critical for both your individual ability to be intimate with people, specifically your sexual romantic relationships, maps to parental relationships, we'll get into Freud's sexual theory also, but the actual application is in your relationships and your individual creativity. Um, one thing I really like about this topic, other than like certain applications that I, th I find are fun, is that many people, um, okay, just said the sound was on, okay, I wasn't sure, I had it. At the volume down, um, but uh, what was it saying? A lot of esoteric traditions, uh, yoga, Taoist uh, sexuality, things like the Tao and stuff. They make this connection between sex and creativity. And uh, a couple weeks ago, I spoke about sex transmutation. My ongoing effort is to make these esoteric take th take what I think are practical bits from esoteric knowledge and esoteric tradition, but also make it rational so we can be like, okay, let's stop talking about the woo-woo uh, magical stuff and actually be like, okay, this is why it works. 
One reason why I really love Carl Jung, other than you know him being really smart and me resonating with a lot of his ideas, is that he, it's kind of like a gateway between like these, this esoteric, workable, but maybe not provable knowledge and stuff that actually makes sense when it comes to psychology. So. We jump in. Uh, I do actually have some disagreements with him, mainly because he grew up, I mean, he came up with these ideas, one, when psychology was a brand new idea. Many people in the 1920s, early 1900s, saw psychology itself as this quack science, or not really science. And a lot of these terms that we take for granted now, guys like him and Freud and Adler were just making up. I mean, not, not just making up, but they were coining these terms. Um, uh, but he also was affected by um, his culture. So like, um, in, the, in the 1920s, women had just gotten um, the right to vote in, in the United States. I don't know, I'm not sure what, what it was like in Europe, probably similar. So some of his assumptions about men and women, I think, are kind of outdated. I think he, I mean, he, not I think, he didn't anticipate second and third wave feminism and how that would affect culture and, and male expression, female expression. So those are where I, I disagree with him related to that. I do want to say like, this mini PC disclaimer. Whenever I speak about, whenever I talk about gender expression or masculinity, some people get triggered, which is fine. I don't expect people to necessarily, um, uh, someone says turn off the autofocus. Let's see if I could do that real fast. If not, we're just gonna do that next time. Okay, I don't know how to do it. All right, sorry. Uh, what was I saying? Um, the, oh yeah, so like recently I was posting quotes about this specific topic to my Instagram um, and I, it's fine. I don't, I don't. I mean, I welcome people disagree. I don't think I'd be. Not, I know everything. I certainly. These are my opinions and my interpretations. But one thing that, for some reason, when it comes to stuff around masculinity and gender and um, the ability to improve or like express your your power as a sexual individual, people seem to take it really personally. Like actually, a friend of mine was like responding his disagreements and like kind of aggressive, like he took it really personally and started attacking me for it. And I was like, why is this? I don't know why. I just want to say like, I'm not, I'm going to make some comments on men and women that I believe are true. I'm not telling anybody how they should be, but I have a lot of evidence of why things are and why I have these interpretations. So that's the end of my, my little uh, disclaimer thing. We're also going to be speaking about um, sexuality, obviously, and a specific technique that Jung recommended that I've kind of haphazardly come across in my coaching that I find very useful. So jumping in helps if we, I know this is probably backwards for you if you are, uh, if you're watching this, I might find a way to flip this in the recording when I post this to YouTube, but uh, I guess this is for my reference more. Um, so definition, so what is the anima, what is the animus? These are Jung's terms. The anima is the feminine side of the male psyche. Uh, the animus is the masculine side of the female psyche. Right off the top, I mean, it's not that hard to understand that, but right off the top, I do want to make a point that, you know, when Jung came up with these terms, male and female roles in society were very defined. Um, it was very easy to make assumptions. Like, like I said, women didn't have the right to vote until that decade. Um, it was very rare for a woman to be ahead of the household. Jung did not anticipate, uh, I guess, the rise of the collective animus in women with uh, second and uh, third wave uh, feminism. He probably didn't uh, uh, anticipate the millennial emasculation that came of men over-identifying with their anima, which we'll speak about. So I do think that both, everyone has a masculine and feminine side, right? And to ground this into more, uh, more scientific terms, what we do know now, and I reference this book a lot, The Virility Paradox, I reference it in my archetype challenge a lot, 
because it's basically uh, basically tying all of these traits we consider masculine in quotes are directly correlated to the presence of testosterone in both men and women. You inject testosterone to a man, woman, or child, it will become a little more competitive, a little more aggressive, a little less empathetic, which is interesting, a little more uh, better at spatial organization and, and planning for the future. There are reasons for that. You inject uh, oxytocin into a man, woman, or child, you'll have certain traits that we consider that most of us consider feminine, uh, empathy, um, uh, being able to connect, uh, emotional awareness, and some of these traits are directly counters. So like this masculine-feminine dichotomy, if we want to be a little more grounded in our terminology, we can directly correlate it to certain hormones. So like it's not just testosterone and oxytocin. Certain masculine traits are tied to dopamine. There's a, do a dopamine-testosterone uh, connection uh, that has been, you know, made by people much more intelligent than me in, in, in science and medicine. Um, and also like there's serotonin is, is uh, related to what we call feminine traits too. And uh, just the thing that to understand is that there is a biological basis for this. And the whole reason for sexual polarity in the first place is that at least at one point in human history, when we were in small tribal bands, there was a need for um, <clears throat> specialization of roles. I've talked about this before, you probably get it, so I'm not gonna go deep into it, but like, uh, it's very hard for one individual to be both good at uh, fighting the elements, building things, planning for the future, hunting, fighting off enemies, whatever, and be very good at uh, empathy, connecting the tribe, um, having like physically giving birth. Like it's very hard. There's not enough resources in one person uh, to do all those things. Hence, we've evolved to be sexually dimorphic. Men and women's bodies are different. Men and women's minds are different. Just leave it at that. Um, however, it is very important, for, and we'll speak about this when it comes to personal creativity, for any individual, regardless of your, who you are, how you choose to express yourself, your identifications, uh, it's very important for both, both of these sides to be uh, connected to. However, if you are, I mean, if you're a straight guy, the, the masculine presence, testosterone-fueled characteristics are probably much more prominent and authentic to you, uh, and yeah, okay. so. Uh, that's the only reason, like, so when we talk about creativity, <clears throat> and when I used to speak about like sex transmutation in like a more abstract sense, I would kind of avoid the terms masculine and feminine because people would get triggered by it sometimes, and it was like, not even worth it, it's true for everyone, it's like we could call it left brain, right brain, we could call it creative, productive aspects of the psyche, but when it comes to intimacy, regardless of your sexual orientation, regardless of your gender, when it comes to intimacy, when it comes to our hormones, they are very directly related to biological sex. So I don't have any commentary on what anyone should or shouldn't do, but there are certain things for being happy and being successful or being fulfilled in your intimate and creative life. <coughs> uh, <coughs> so the, the first thing, and we'll start with an abstract concept, is uh, when it comes to creativity, there are two, you know, we're speaking about the sexual dimorphism and the, um, and the specialization of roles in our ancestors. There is something to a creative act that requires two different types of um, behavior. There's like the divergent thinking of like, you know, you're, you're connecting ideas that other people haven't connected, you're being creative, right? Um, and then there's actually making it into something. So I spoke about The War of Art some time ago. Uh, it's, I think it's probably the best book on creativity. It's also like full of masculine virtues kind of hidden into it um, because it, it, it highly stresses on the the, the masculine side of creativity, which is putting things into form. The first third of the book is like how you gotta fight your resistance, like show up to the keyboard every day and, and show up to your, you know, whatever thing every day and like work, 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 work. But there's like the, the last third of his book, Stephen, Pref Stephen Pressfield's book, The War of Art, 
He references the feminine side, uh, which is what I just said, connecting ideas. Like A lot of people have ideas, but if they don't have that work ethic or the ability to focus, uh, they're not going to create anything, obviously, right? A lot of people have great ideas and they sit on the couch, and they're kind of two different uh, it's two different ways of being, right? It's kind of hard, and any writer will say, there's like the, the ideas mind, and then there's the editor. Like the, if you're editing while you're brainstorming, you're gonna sabotage both, because they're to two totally different ways of being. <clears throat> so like, uh, we could call the feminine side the divergent thinking. Um, a lot of people have their great ideas um, when they're e either chilled, or, or they're under like, uh, stress to the point of ego death and you know if you think about like when people have spiritual experiences or intuitive experiences they're either like you know relaxed and not like focusing and trying to grind or they're so maxed out like the idea of there's no atheists in foxholes um someone's like gotten to the point where they they can no longer be like okay my ego identity has control of the situation maybe they uh, experience a crisis they're under like some physical stress uh, shit's just not working out. They're having like, that come to Jesus moment. What is that? And then Jung actually speaks about like these spiritual experiences. It's like the persona is like kind of atrophied. It's like, like even because when things are good, it's easy to identify everything with your ego. It's easy for your ego to claim credit for everything. Like, oh yeah, I'm making money. I'm um, this is all great. Everything's awesome. I, everything's like this is all me. I'm I'm awesome. I'm whatever my name is. Blah blah blah. But when things when shit's hitting the fan, despite your best efforts. You know, that's when you start to look at the unconscious. Whether you're consciously looking at the unconscious or not, that's when people are like, just give me a sign, like I don't know what the fuck to do, like, like what, is, what is life, what's going on? And that happens to be when people have like, they can finally listen to the words in, in their head. We, we spoke about last week, personal versus, unco uh, per personal versus collective versus, and unconscious versus conscious parts of the psyche. When people have that thought of like, oh, I need to do this, like I need to do that, it usually happens in times of stress or when they just dis disable their conscious mind, um, their focus, their focused attention, because those are two different things, right? Masculine, feminine. Thank you, you get it. Um, and also, if, if you're just watching for the first time live, feel free to answer, qu ask questions, I'll try to answer them in real time. Um, so uh, these two different minds, I mean, in an in, inner person, like when it comes to, like, say, the Tantra, community or Tantra, Tantra, uh, they had this idea of the inner union where you're, you're weaving your own, your inner masculine feminine for well-being, for creativity, for all the stuff we're talking about. Now, this also maps to your intimate relations. So this is kind of uh, Freud's uh, big introduction to, to psychology, what we call sexual theory. Like, if you hear people comment on Freud now, especially if they're critical of him, it's like, oh yeah, Freud thinks everything is about sex. Like, I, I was just watching that film, um, A Dangerous Method, which is about Freud and Jung and their relationship uh, when they were like basically developing. Like, Kira Knightley's in it, and she's super hot in it. I highly recommend the movie, especially if you're into this stuff. Um, but they basically, I mean, they, they kind of painted Freud like, as being a tool, and he's like, oh yeah, it's, it, everything's about sex. But the whole thing with Freud's sexual theory um, was that, uh, this is a, a simplification, but it, it's workable. Um, a lot, most of our neuroses or most of our longings unconsciously map to our parental, uh, our upbringing, right? And our, our uh, you know, especially if you're a straight man, a lot, a lot of your, a lot of your anima, which we're going to get into, uh, maps to your mother and how your mother treated you or how your mother um, let you down, perhaps, or how your mother domineered you. And obviously your model for masculinity is your father, whoever was the male, the prominent male figure in your life. Um, and then, uh, and then if you had these wounds, 
you go into adult life and you start to date women, if you're a straight guy, and then a lot of your mother's shit comes up, or how you behave in relationships might uh, either, uh, might be, a lot of your unconscious flaws might map to your father and stuff. That's sexual theory and very grossly oversimplified. Um, Jung actually had a criticism of, of Freud's sexual theory. He said, yes, it's true, but for a certain type of person, <clears throat> for extroverts, and this is something, I was thinking about this when I was in the in Dao Garden yesterday, like sitting in on one of their like sexual kung fu classes, um, and they're talking about how some people run hot and some people run cold, and I was thinking about my experiences and, and you know, uh, coaching men and other stuff, and like, uh, yeah, there's some people who run really hot physically, like if they have, if, if they develop a psychogenic sexual dysfunction, it's usually premature ejaculation, like they, they heat up too fast, um, whereas some people run cold, whereas uh, when they have a sexual dysfunction, they can't get it up. Like they're they're kind of the same thing of like, like emotional, physical stress, but they show up differently, and it almost exactly like maps to whether they're introverted or extroverted. Um, and basically, Jung's criticism of Freud's sexual theory is that that's really only true for extroverts. Like extroverts model things off of what's outside of them. So like their parental relationship becomes a really big deal, and then and then that gets uh, mapped over to their intimate relationships as an adult. I think that's true for everyone. It's particularly, according to Jung at least, it's particularly true for extroverts. Whereas Adler, who is another one of these uh, pioneer psychologists, a student of Freud, um, had the will to power theory. I'm not going to get into that deeply, but basically is that instead of like uh, mapping to external relations, an introverted person has a more of a will to power, uh, a will to power drive where they're just trying to become powerful. Like they, they make everything about themselves. Like I mean, you can think like when uh, an extrovert gets depressed, they might lash out or they get hurt, they lash out. Whereas an introverted uh, worldview might have it like, oh, something's wrong. It's like on me and they get depressed. This is obviously not uh, true in all situations, we have, but these are tendencies, right? Um, so anyway, regarding uh, this whole anima animus stuff, uh, I'll speak. I'll speak on a, a from a straight male perspective because that's what I know. It's uh, so a lot of what our choices and partners, how we relate to people, and even our sexual fantasies, will uh, map to our anima. So if we, so one way, one like practical application of archetypes is just imagining that they're characters in in your unconscious. Um, I spoke about it like the, you know, how things are personal or collective uh, last week, I think, or two weeks ago. Um, but like, uh, you know, we, we can say like, it basically is a set of behaviors that kind of like a gene in your chromosome. It's like a set of behaviors in your psyche that's been like replicated. It's like, it's only an archetype if, it, if it's true for other people. Whereas like your ego, your identity, you know, I'm Ruan, there's only one Ruan like me. This is very personal to me. Like there's no one just like me in this permutation of reality. Whereas like I may have a trickster archetype that's prominent in me. But I'm not the only one, right? The trickster archetype is true in many people. It might be particularly strong in me compared to some other guy, but like every I mean everyone probably has a piece of it, right? The the, the thing that the matters with this is um, if we think of our anima, our feminine side, again if straight male example, if you think of your anima side your anima as this like you can imagine it as like a uh, we could say like a young woman or a woman that lives in your unconscious. It's also part of you. It's not the part of you that maybe you directly identify with, but it's a part of you as far as this like collective that makes up yourself beyond just your ego identity. It's it's one of the pieces. Um, and <clears throat> specifically if you are dissociated from your feminine side, your we can call them the oxytocin serotonin driven qualities, because you are <clears throat> Um, insecure as a man because your mother was a certain way because of it could be because of a lot of things right 
Um, if you're dissociated from an archetype, from a set of behaviors, that's when it tends to wreak havoc. It's almost like, I mean, I like to imagine it as like, if you imagine who you are as this council of characters in your unconscious, and, and uh, somehow you're, you, you cut one off and you're like, you know, you, you're not a good part of me, uh, we're gonna shame you to the corner. I mean, a lot of times we dissociate because of shame. Like, for some reason when you're a child, you're like, it's never good to experience emotions. A lot of us have experienced something like that. Um, especially men, if you, you know, even as little boys, you might have gotten this idea in your head, like, oh, experiencing emotions, which is like an anima quality, is like a really bad thing. Uh, I'm gonna, you know, shove this into into the darkness in my in my consciousness. That part of you that that, that you call it a little girl in your unconscious is gonna fuck shit up. It's gonna be like, well, you're not gonna listen to me. I'm gonna mess up your relationships and like make it hard for you to connect with people. Um, or uh, I'm gonna morph in a way that has you drawn to. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I don't use this language commonly, but they, they call it like becoming a Captain Sabaho, where like a guy, like it's kind of nice guy syndrome in extreme, where a guy's like always drawn to broken women, uh, where he can like solve their problems because it makes him feel, it like finally makes him feel like a man when he's like with this woman who needs help. I've, I've been guilty of that. Um, and some of my more dramatic relationships, that, that unconscious character will start to run things. Um, so just, just to ground this in an example, um, we could probably all imagine <clears throat> A guy who's completely cut off from his feminine side. Uh, maybe he's very in his head, he's very intellectual, and maybe he's like successful in certain areas of life, like he's good with his finances, he's good with goal setting, maybe he's a programmer or an accountant or something, but for some reason he just doesn't get relationships. He goes on all these dates, he's so good on paper, <clears throat> but women always say like, oh, I can't feel you, or like, I don't, I don't really get you, or like maybe his sense of humor is a little um, unrelatable, right? That, that would be like kind of a, a hyperbolic example of a guy who has a dissociated anima. The result being, you know, it doesn't matter how you choose to express yourself, but if this guy really wants to have relationships with women or, or have some sort of intimacy, that really sucks if his unconscious anima is like messing things up on every first date or preventing him from speaking to women or fearing women or judging women or resenting women or all the above, right? Um, and we're going to speak about ways to counter that in your unconscious, or at least one technique that Jung recommended that I do with my clients sometimes. Um, and uh, oh, and, and just another. But so, so the positive side of this is like going back to the the creative thing that we could do inside of ourselves, like connecting our masculine, and feminine, the divergent thinking with like actual action taking. Um, the whole idea behind the muse, like masculine man, um, connects with. Uh, super feminine woman, he's like super inspired, like she activates his anima, which maybe has been dormant, and suddenly he can write beautiful poetry, he can paint amazing paintings, he can finally finish his book, whatever the thing is, right? Um, according to Jung, and I, I believe this should be true, a lot, all of our intimate relationships map to elements of our psyche. Your, your connection or your adoration or your focus on um, a certain type of woman or a certain woman probably maps what's going on in your anima. Um, so, uh, on the positive side, if you're inspired by a muse, that is your anima being um, externalized. I mean, that's kind of, that's, that's one like maybe tenet of Freud's sexual theory, that's like you're externalizing your anima. Um, so in that way, a guy who's maybe more driven by testosterone fuel characteristics can now have this anima to interact with outside of him in material reality in the, in the form of this relationship that gives him or you know feeds him with both elements of the creative process the left brain right brain yin yang whatever um, 
But it's also, you know, as, as I just mentioned, noting like when someone has like a, a constant pattern in their relationships um, that's negative, uh, that also might be your anima sabotaging you. Like you pointed like one 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 uh, results of, of men with a mother complex, for instance, um, is that they've kind of dissociated from a certain part of their anima, or in some cases, it might be it's still attached to their mother even when they're an adult male. So like that part of their psyche is kind of, because it's dissociated, it becomes kind of jealous. So it'll always jump in and like sabotage his relationships. Like he starts to get close to a woman, he starts to fall in love, and then like it jumps in and like the anima jumps in and like makes him do some stuff that sabotages it because that, that part of his psyche wants, and this is common in mother complex because I guess it is attached to keeping him and doesn't want him to, don't, doesn't want him to give it his adoration to a, a feminine being outside. Um, that's one way to interpret it, but we can see like when a guy has a dissociated anima, very often he does things unconsciously that sabotages relationships, either by being distant or in his head or angry or whatever. Um, <clears throat> I, kind of, I kind of touched on this, but uh, I kind of touched on this last week, but I want to reference like, so when we speak about archetypes, they are less personal than our ego. Like our ego, our, as our conscious identity is the most personal to us, as I mentioned. Archetypes are a little less personal. And why this, uh, so, Jung references this as like, um, it's kind of like we inherit, like we were talking about a man's feminine side, his anima. It does map to his mother, partly, but he also is kind of like inheriting it from women of humanity. Like there's, especially when it comes to unconscious impulses, uh, there's like this, this whiz, uh, it's not necessarily personal to him. And, and both Jung and one of his uh, protégés, who's a woman who I, I also am a huge fan of, Maria Louise von Franz, um, she, they both made this observation that women's animus tends to be even less personal than a man's anima for some reason. Like, if you saw my article on rape and like dark archetypes, um, I quoted uh, von Franz who said that um, <clears throat> uh, women tend to have like gangbang fantasies, not because this is like a sexual thing necessarily, but because their their animus, the masculine side of their consciousness, doesn't doesn't map to their father as as much as a man's anima maps to his mother. It's kind of like mapping to all men. So the whole idea behind that sexual fantasy is that not even necessarily sexual. It's just like this is how I relate to all men. Like it's like a depersonalized masculinity that's in within women. Granted, as I said in the beginning, um, all of these pioneer psychologists came up with these theories just around the time of women's right to vote, at least in the States, um, it was, you know, w women's roles in society were very different. They probably didn't anticipate consumerism, which would turn us, uh, take us even further away from tribalness uh, beyond the nuclear family to the point where like everyone is a unit, everyone has to be their own masculine or feminine, which is why so many people are lonely uh, in, in the modern era. Um, but yeah, I mean, so I don't, I don't know that this is true. I mean, it, it might actually be just, like a, a modern woman's masculine side might be just as personal um, and maybe map to her father just as much as uh, they theorized the man's anima did. Um, <clears throat> but I actually want to bring up something, why this matters, the whole personal collective thing, is that uh, <clears throat> I'm, I'm going to touch on this a little bit. When it comes to like to stuff we might call paranormal, like telepathy, for instance, um, Jung would say that you are tapping into something beyond your personal experiences. Like it's something maybe embedded in your DNA and like that like leads, leads to memories. Like he was speaking about like when people 
can remember past lives or think they remember past lives, but they're really tapping into is uh, the collective unconscious. Um, why this matters, it, it relates to the technique we're gonna do, or uh, I'm gonna share about, and actually something that just happened to me last night, so I'm not gonna go into the details on it, but my girlfriend and I had like a minor conflict this last week, um, and you know, made up and all that, but I was taking a nap, I was kind of stressed out emotionally from, from it. I was taking a nap yesterday, <clears throat> And kind of when I was in that state of like half being asleep, half being awake, I, that I'm sure all of you have experienced at some point, I heard this this uh, very specific sentence that I would have never come up with, and it sounded like a woman, like a young, like a girl's voice actually. And um, I didn't know what it meant. It was kind of like a fearful statement. I was like, oh, maybe this is. I was reading about all this anima stuff. So I was like, oh, maybe this is my anima speaking to me. Um, uh, this is just like the voice of my fear that popped up or whatever. Um, but they, it also in this in the thing that I heard, there was this word that I had never used before. It was termine. I had never used that word before. I could probably guess what it means. Like I looked it up later. It's like an it's like a more archaic way of saying terminal. Like things are going to end. Um, it was like oh termine. Like that's that, that's weird that I would hear that voice in my head, but I've never consciously used that word before. I could probably guess what it meant, but like I, I mean, if you just asked me, it's like I don't I don't really know what that word is. Um, so that, that was interesting. Thing. Um, and then I then I shared with my girlfriend like oh yeah I had this like kind of auditory half asleep hallucination um, sure it was like voice of my fears or something like that and she said that she literally would say that exact sentence to herself when she was a little girl can be kind of trippy if you, if you caught my um, my episodes on when I was in the sex cult. I have some theories of like how telepathy works. Like it's like a next level empathy. Was I was I hearing my girlfriend's anima? Was I hearing a collect uh, something from the collective unconscious? I have no idea. I'm not saying I'm not saying I have a conclusion on anything, but it does go in line with a lot of what Jung is saying. Of like um, these things are not personal to you. Your anima is not as personal to you as your ego. It's uh, it maps to all of. Uh, women and humanity. However, it's a little more personal than pu the pure collective unconscious because my anima expression might be different than your anima expression, etc. So I'm not saying like this is like a, I'm not I'm not sharing anything about telepathy. I don't really know. This might also just be a like a weird coincidence. But I think there is something to this, and a lot of uh, Jung's take on dream analysis is like, uh, especially if you dream about a weird situation, is not necessarily you. You might be tapping into something that's collective, that's not personal to you. Anyway, um, back to the practical application of relationships and your, your expression with your intimate relationships and your creative expression is, um, and this is specific to I think our modern times, that over-identification of archetypes, um, I won't say if it's good or bad, in fact I want to say, I want to stress again, I'm not saying anyone should be one way or another, but um, Jung and a lot of these early psychologists would say like it, it's actually there's something wrong when a man over-identifies with his anima. It's important to be in communication with it, but over-identification with um, the anima makes uh, a man that would, you know, makes a man effeminate. Um, uh, over-identification with the animus in a woman, which will happen when a woman ha maybe has to grow up faster than she means to when she's young, or she ends up as a single mother and has to take on the masculine role. Over-identification leads to um, hardness or frigidity. Uh, he actually said that uh, when a man over-identifies with his anima, it leads to impotence. And it's interesting, you know, overlaying that with my, you know, visiting the Dow Garden yesterday and, and, you know, hearing about how some guys run hot, some guys run cold. It's like, oh yeah, that kind of makes sense. Like if you, if you're like 
overly connected to your feminine side, it, it makes sense that you wouldn't be able to uh, penetrate, which is a, a masculine quality. In fact, I want to say like, you know, so I, a couple years ago I made the arousal control course to teach certain Taoist practices in a more usable way for men to learn arousal control. Um, and one of the, one of the impetuses to, for me to make uh, the archetype class the next year is that when I was speaking to a lot of guys who, you know, you, you take a course like that, and not to say that mine is the only one that's good, but you, you, there's not, it's not that hard to learn the physical practices. A lot of guys can learn how to train their attention to be grounded and stuff. But a lot of men I would speak to who still had psychogenic dysfunctions, the, the, the last piece, and this was the case for myself when I overcame impotence, the last piece was um, addressing certain emotional blocks, almost always around his expression of masculinity. And sometimes it was as simple as like, learn to be more initiative. Like once you can initiate more, it's like, okay, my erections come back. Like there's something like to, to, to tie this into Jung's interpretation of an overly effeminate man, there's something to timidity, which I think, I do think, I will say this is probably, people will probably disagree or get triggered, but I do think this is an effect of extremist feminism, second and third wave feminism, which, which one taught women to beat men at their own game, fight fire with fire. Uh, you know, Robert Glover talked about this. I think it was Gloria Steinem who would say, um, a, a woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle. Like a woman can do everything on their own. Not to say that they can't, but a lot of women suffer from that. We're going to speak about sexuality in a sec. And a lot of boys who were the children of these women or like were in this culture where like the, the dominant women had this worldview, grew up kind of ashamed of their masculinity and it becomes a timidity and Philip Zimbardo spoke about this in his TED talk about pornography. This maybe dri driven men to porn, porn addiction. I think porn just didn't help. Porn, internet porn, and uh, feminist culturalization, I think, has had a, a very negative effect on the millennial men and younger um, because, like, of this uh, like timidity that happens. Like, Philip Zimbardo spoke about this in his TED talk. Like, it's, there's a new kind of anxiety that young men seem to have where it's not just like, oh, you get nervous about asking out a woman. It's like, you're actually like, too timid to like to penetrate outwards and like sometimes uh, when a guy's like trying to get over like a sexual issue just learning how to take the initiative is enough to fix his issue because a lot of guys I mean this is a kind of an epidemic of men let's say born in the 80s and, and later uh, where like I've heard this from so many guys the first couple times I'm with a new woman I have issues and then after a while I get I get okay with that I've heard this from so many people even guys who don't consider that to be an issue they're just like that's just how it is um, I would I would say that's something to do with uh, like an imbalance or I don't know if an imbalance is the right word but like a timidity when it comes around to his masculinity whereas you get a guy to start initiating, it's kind of like he, he, he goes out of like passive prey mode and go into aggressive, uh, not aggressive is maybe not the right word, but penetrating initiatory, masculine, testosterone driven behavior. Um, and we do know, and actually I, I know I'm, well anyway, uh, a lot of the fitness stuff I've been studying, I just, I've been a huge fan of Pavel Sassoulin's Quick and the Dead book, which just came out this year. He speaks about adrenaline and, and noradrenaline and how predators and prey have very different profiles when it comes to their adrenaline, noradrenaline uh, ratios. We don't have to get too deep into it, but there's something around like when you are the predator, when you are the one who's initiating the interaction and not to, not to, not to make seduction sound like hunting necessarily, it, it can, like it's not a terrible metaphor, but like there's something about like being the initiator because like sexual tension feels like conflict, I guess tension, right? To be the initiator, the one who's like, like initiating the tension has, it, has an effect on your, your mood. It, it probably has an effect on your hormones. Whereas like if you're the one chasing the dog, your testosterone is up because you're a predator. Whereas if you run from the dog, 
both the dog and you are going to see you as the prey, and that, that's going to depress you and, and, and um, release more cortisol than testosterone, for instance. Um, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to go in. Yeah, so the, re that, the reason why I feel very strongly about the claims I make on like masculine, masculinity and femininity is like, you know, I'm not attached to any ideology. Someone could prove me wrong or give, I'm sure there's, a, there's exceptions to everything here. But I've been in a lot of workshops for couples around sexuality. I've sat and I've, I, used to, I used to work with Omar Pani, who's been on the podcast, speaks about domination and submission. I've been in a lot of his workshops. Um, <clears throat> and very often there was a specific type of couple that would come there. It was like a super liberal, like pro-feminist, and which I think is great, a pro-feminist couple who didn't want to have sex anymore. And it would be a very like, powerful woman, we could say a very strong animist, she's successful in the world, she's very independent, she's very, you know, no one's stepping on her. And she's with a guy who's like, all, like very soft and like maybe connected with his anima and like very supportive of her. But for some reason, she doesn't want to fuck him anymore. And he's like, what, what the hell? I mean, he's like, I mean, he's kind of being a nice guy. He's like, I'm doing everything that seems to be good that we kind of agreed on, we both agree on and all this stuff, but he just doesn't want, and she wants him to dominate him. And like, it was kind of a heartbreaking scene to see a lot of times because here's this guy who's like trying to do everything that women told him to do to connect with him. And even his wife is like, well, now you need to dominate me. And a lot of these guys, you know, they maybe have been married for 10, 20 years. They're like, what the fuck? Like, that's not what you said when we got together. That's not what you're portraying. You want me to dominate you now? But like, the truth is, no matter what your political ideologies are, there's certain things in our unconscious, I'm not going to say they're objective truths, but they're at least unconscious truths or biological truths that seem to be very true <laughs> um, across the, I mean, there's a lot of evidence for it, whereas there's certain like polarity uh, things that matter. Even a woman who's very confident in her masculine side and her animus and can be you know, a conquering force in the world and, and compete with men in, in the testosterone-driven worlds of business. In the bedroom, she still wants to feel like a woman. She still wants to be driven by oxytocin and feel soft. And with a guy who's overly identified with his anima, who's maybe not literally impotent in his body, but like is impotent in his character, <clears throat> she's not going to be able to feel safe enough to, to drop into that. So that's why all this matters. I'm never going to say like anyone should or shouldn't be, but one in, in sex, at least in heterosex, and I think this is true for non-heterosex too, like there is still polarity. Uh, it's a little different uh, if you're not straight, uh, cis, whatever. Um, there's certain truths when it comes to sexual polarity, and then you know, they could flip, there's exceptions and all that, but um, when it comes to happy relationships and when it comes to men, who I speak on the most, I am one, right? Uh, men feeling fulfilled and happiness, happy and authentic in themselves and empowered. There's something to not being, not having your, your masculine side be timid and, and hidden, right? Um, <clears throat> yeah, okay, so we're gonna end with this, uh, this technique to pull, bring it down and all of this stuff is fun to talk about, like what's something you can do if you identify, like, oh, I have a mother complex or, oh, I'm totally disconnected from my feminine side and that's why I sabotage all my connections or I'm totally disconnected from my masculine side or my masculine side is timid or whatever, this character in me, you know, I have this demon in my head, like what do you do about it? Um, you can get a very simple technique, which is something I've done with clients a lot, uh, kind of like not because I, it's before I knew about archetype stuff, but like other people have theories on this, like if you, like family constellations is one like healing modality where they do something like this, where you or like a gestalt uh, therapy is also something like this, where you 
externalize this thing that, that lives inside of you, you give it a name, you give it a character, you whatever, and you speak to it. And Jung very simply says, like, you can speak to your persona. You can speak to your ego, even though we identify with our ego, we, you, you, can, you as a self, as a entity that's more than just your conscious identity, you can talk to your ego and negotiate things. You can talk to uh, your feminine side. And, and, and you know, there's nothing mystical. You don't have to go into like prayer or hypnosis to do this, although those things can help, which is why in the archetype class I, I included a meditation to help men get in touch with their masculine archetype. We can do this in waking consciousness. And actually, I made another video uh, on this technique in a in a different application, um, if you go to, it's a shorter video than this, like you can go to my YouTube, um, search for um, how to connect or how to reintegrate dissociated archetypes. I, I kind of run through an example that I did with the client, but basically you can just choose to enter dialogue and like with anything that's not material, it might seem like you're just talking to yourself. It might seem like, um, uh, it might seem like it's all in your head because it, I mean, it is literally all in your head. Uh, but if you, you'll be surprised at how clear a response you can get, even if it sounds like you're talking to yourself, from yourself, right? And like I referenced like when I was half falling asleep, and if you've ever like, if you've ever like been conscious while falling asleep, like in a half sleeping state where you're thinking, but you're also dreaming at the same time, uh, you may, you may have had experiences like that. Where, like these are, these are my thoughts thinking, but they're also like kind of out of my control now. They're kind of like going on their own. Like they're kind of like, a lot of people have this experience um, on psychedelics where they feel like they're speaking to the grandmother spirit. Is there an actual grandmother spirit? Maybe, I don't know, but it's also very possible you're speaking to a, now a dissociated part of your, your psyche that now you're able to communicate with and get answers from. Like I mentioned the no atheists and foxholes thing. You might be, uh, stressed to the point where your ego is disabled and now you can just like hear voices in your head. There's still you, or maybe it's the voice of God, I don't know. Uh, maybe there's no difference between these deities and, and just elements of your unconscious. Maybe it's all the same friggin' thing. Um, but it doesn't matter, entering a dialogue into yourself. And this is something, you know, this is why I'm so into journaling. Like anytime I want to get my head straight, and I, I, the reason why I, I'm, I fill my notebook so quickly is that even writing it out, even just thinking to myself in a, a normal waking state, there's so many things you can work out if you simply ask a question and are willing to see what answer comes out, you'll get it. I think I, I referenced this in my in my video or my episodes on when I was in the cult. Like the thing, I, I went really deep into magical thinking and trying to entertain different um, like voices in my head. I was trying really hard to like listen to voices in my head, but I got to the point where I was so stressed. I didn't, I didn't, I couldn't like rationally understand what was going on. I was like, my sense of reality was broken. And I started to just hear words in my head, like it's time to leave or this or this or that. And like a lot of lessons came, could have been the voice of God or simply could have been my conscious mind finally shut up enough that I can listen to these other elements of the psyche that are just as, that were just as much me as my conscious identity. But, um, had information I didn't have. So uh, I spoke about that in, uh, I go through the process in more detail with a different example, but that is the technique that Jung rec uh, recommends and like why, uh, what's, I'm blanking on what he calls it now, um, active imagination, that's what it's called. Uh, any Jungian psychologist will say, these are one of the like, dream analysis and active uh, imagination. And I will say, dream analysis is not that different, only when you're doing active imagination and like speaking to like, or you know, personalizing this element of yourself and like trying to talk to it, obviously you're in a waking state, 
dream dream analysis when you try to remember your dreams, which is why, again, I'm so big into notebook writing because then you can really jog your memory and remember the images that your unconscious gave you. It's another opportunity. Like you're not going to go into dialogue when you're awake with like what happened in your dream, but there always are symbols for that. And um, I think I have another video on my YouTube on, on tips of dream analysis, but I think that's it. Run through anything that's uh, important, uh, biases, anima, animus, uh, both sides are important for creativity. Uh, connecting to the opposite polarity for you is important in your intimate relationships. And your intimate relationships, in turn, are important for your ability to be creative. Like that's the whole idea behind a muse, or uh, or even like a more concrete example would be like a super feminine woman dating a guy. You can like help her create systems and create the things you want. Like that's like an externalization of the animus. Um, and uh, less personal ego, you can kind of hear stuff, maybe there's something with telepathy, hormonal basis, impotence, truth comes back to sex, or sex is one place where regardless of our ideas and, and ideologies, the truth is the truth, or some, a truth is a truth. Um, that's it, uh, if you missed the opening announcement, I'm doing a pilgrimage in Spain in August, it's gonna be at least two weeks long, so it's not it's not for everyone. You have to be able to take that time off. But is it going to be a pilgrimage into the animus in reality? It's a, it's a journey. Um, and we're going to turn it into like a, an opportunity for growth with coaching circles and exercises and meditations. And we're going to do some qigong and uh, physical fitness along the way. I think, I'm super excited. I'm going by myself no matter what. I, I'm welcoming a small group to join me. Um, and you can apply for that on my website, rwando.com slash coaching dash application. It's where people apply for coaching, but if you're interested in that pilgrimage specifically, just type in the notes that and we can talk about it. Um, I think that's it. Do I have anything else? I'm gonna be a Dow Garden. So maybe next week, I'm, gonna, I'm either gonna talk about um, the game theory of intimacy, um, uh, or I'm going to share some things around arouse control that I recently refreshed my memory on in Dow Garden. I'm gonna have some cool people on the podcast uh, interview style soon. Um, Leah Alchin, who is one of the head instructors of Source Tantra, is in town. A lot of my Tantra friends are in town right now. Um, and we'll see, yeah. That's it. All right. Enjoy your whatever day it is. See ya.